1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Then my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. As I'm taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. may be seated. And if you would, turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. If you're joining us online, glad to have you. Be sure to click share. We began a new Sunday morning series a few weeks ago titled Taking Action Today for a Better Tomorrow. You can take charge of your life and you can change your life by taking action now for a better tomorrow. We've given you the C.S. Lewis quote that you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are now and you can change the ending. Faith as we have learned, is a starting point. It is, in fact, the starting point. And faith is fundamental. Faith is essential. Faith is the foundation and the beginning of building a successful life with God. But faith is not all there is to building a successful life. Action is required. Smile at your neighbor and say, action is required. Smile at your other neighbor and say, action is required. Now, it's like when you buy a gift for your children when they're little. It might say assembly required. And uh, Jessica's the engineer. She does better at that stuff than I do. And uh, Samuel was at the store with her the other day and saw a bicycle she, he wanted. I told Jessica, I said, go ahead and get it. You know, we don't know what will be available here in a few weeks or months. I said, go ahead and get it. And of course, he wanted it put together right away. And Jessica's like, no, let me, let me put that together next week. I was like, no, I, I can do it. I, I can do it. And so I was outside sitting on the drive with my toolbox trying to read the instruction manual. And she explained to me they do one instruction manual for like 50 different bikes. And I, I was trying to figure out why the, the picture, the drawings didn't exactly match what I was doing. And it took me a while, but I, I got it done. Amen? Amen? Well, she put together last night before going to sleep a bicycle for Julia for her birthday. And she timed herself to, to compare to how long it took me <laughs> And it took her exactly 18 minutes. <laughs> Assembly required. But in life, action is required. Action is required. And if you want to change your life for the better, you've got to take action today. You've got to take action tomorrow. And the action required is likely different action than the action you've been taking, or it's greater action, or it's more action. 
This morning, I want to give you 10 common traits of successful people. 10 common traits of successful people. Number one, positive thinking. Number one, positive thinking. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, this is the King James, for as a man or woman thinketh in his heart, so is he. For as a woman thinketh in her heart, so is she. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So our thoughts matter. The Apostle Paul said we're to take captive every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. And to be a success, you got to think positively. And not just think positively one day a week. you got to be a positive person. you got to think positively. Whether you're talking about investors, entrepreneurs, small businessmen or small businesswomen, car salesmen, doctors, builders, plumbers, successful people tend to be positive. Successful people tend to be positive thinkers. Successful people think positively. They think success, not failure. And they are positive regardless of whatever the circumstances are or the situation may be. They often rebound from obstacles or problems. Their positive attitude allows them to determine their destiny. Just got to be positive. And you got to train your children to be positive. The other day, our oldest Sophie came home, and I could tell something was wrong. She was upset, frustrated over something that she had difficulty with in cheer, and uh, something simple. And I said, that, that's what practice is for, to learn, to do better, to practice so you get better. And you might get frustrated, just got to keep trying and keep practicing. And I told her, if it'll make you feel better, I'll, I'll try doing a cartwheel here in the kitchen while mom's not here. And uh, she laughed, she smiled, and, and I, I didn't do that. Amen. Don't want to hurt myself before Sunday. But successful people are positive people. And so they rebound from obstacles or problems. Their positive attitude allows them to determine their destiny. Pat Riley, the former NBA coach who led the LA Lakers to four titles in the 1980s, he said his father taught him this lesson, it's not what happens to you that's important. It's how you react to it. It's how you react. It's what you do after the situation has occurred. You're going to crawl up in a ball and cry? Or are you going to stand up, dust yourself off, and take action for a better tomorrow? Successful people don't let negative people or negative environments throw them off track. Watch successful people. Learn from them. Discipline yourself to think positively. And that's why we often say that fellowship, friendship, is everything. You hang around the right people, they'll, they'll challenge you. They'll motivate you. They'll inspire you to do more, to achieve more, to have more, to do better. You hang around the, the wrong people, and they'll make you feel okay about being messed up, whatever that looks like. So you have to embrace the positive and avoid the negative. And the negative could be a thing, could be in a place, the negative could be a person. Embrace the positive and avoid the negative. Tell your neighbor, say, embrace the positive. Avoid the negative. Tell your other neighbor, say, embrace the positive. Avoid the negative. And that's why you got to limit your fellowship. We, we walk in love, we love everyone, but that doesn't mean you have to hang out with everyone. Doesn't mean you have to fellowship with everyone. Doesn't mean you have to have everybody over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
I remember once my mother-in-law was so grieved at a holiday family gathering because she had, like always, put in great effort to Wonderful Mill, and her siblings showed up, and it was this complaint, it was that complaint, and no matter all the wonderful things she had made to eat, one of her brothers was criticizing what she had prepared because it wasn't steak and lobster. Well, anybody knows that's not what you serve at Thanksgiving or Christmas, amen. And that would be fine, I guess, but my point is you, sometimes you have to limit who you invite and what you're doing and who you're hanging out with. We walk in love, we're a blessing, but we, we don't let people take advantage of us, discourage us, or dump on us, amen. Number two, goal setting. Goal setting. Successful people set goals, and then they draw out specific plans to reach those goals. When Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, when he was just 13 years old and he weighed only 115 pounds, he made up his mind that his one and only goal was to be the heavyweight champion of the world, and he did it. And he did that without serving the one true living God of the Bible. Well, what can you do with God? What can you do with faith in God and faith in yourself? Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. So with the help of God, with the help of the true and living God, there are no limits. There are no excuses. There are no legitimate excuses. So you gotta set goals and set all kinds of goals. Goals should be realistic, amen. That's why we're always encouraging you when it comes to taking action simply to get started. You know, if you don't save any money at all, it would be silly to set the goal of saving a million dollars before the end of this year. So you gotta set goals. Your goals should be realistic goals and you should set short-term goals, you should set intermediate goals, and you should set long-term goals. We all know because of all that's gone on in our country and the world the past two years, we would all benefit from taking care of ourselves better, being in better shape, eating better, exercising more, amen. But if your goal is to lose half your weight before the end of the year, you're setting yourself up for failure. So we ought to set goals, but we ought to set reasonable and realistic goals, short-term goals, intermediate goals, long-term goals. And the advantage of setting goals is progress can be measured. And we ought to be making progress in every area of life all the time. Number three, action. Action. Everybody's favorite word, action. Goals mean nothing without corresponding action. Leaders and successful people are not only goal-oriented, they are also action-oriented. Leaders and successful people are always on the move. They're always taking action. They're always tweaking, modifying the action they're taking. And they're always making progress and evaluating their progress and looking for ways to make more progress. Goals mean nothing without corresponding action. Tell your neighbor, say, goals mean nothing without corresponding action. Tell your other neighbor, say, goals mean nothing without corresponding action. Sam Walton, who founded Walmart, he visited Soul Price in San Diego where he toured one of the first Price Club warehouses. That same night when Walton returned to Arkansas, he had his architect stay up all night drafting plans for the new Sam's Clubs. And you've probably been to Sam's. It's amazing. 
And it's great, especially if you have a large family. They sell cereal in our size. Amen. But he saw a vision, and he immediately went to work duplicating that and improving upon it. Decision and action can and should be instantaneous and simultaneous. So don't delay. Be quick to take the action you know you need to take. My father explained this to me in his office maybe two weeks ago, that most people, they don't take action. And so instead of the, the problem or the situation getting better, it gets worse. But he explained the longer you delay in taking action, the fewer choices you have, the fewer options you have, the fewer things you can do to correct, rectify, and to improve the situation. So don't delay. Be quick to take the action you know you need to take. And this is what we should be doing all the time, and that is, as Paul said, being led by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, walking by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Yungi Cho wrote the most wonderful book entitled The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner, but waking up every day and saying, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do today? What do I need to change? What do I need to improve? What do I need to do better? What do I need to work on that I haven't been working on? He's not trying to hinder us. He's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to hold us back. He knows what God would have us do. He knows our own dreams and desires, which God gave us. And so if we'll listen and obey and take action, he'll help get us there. My father often says we have to get all the forces of our lives lined up and moving in the same direction. And doing that requires corresponding action. But people often ignore taking action. They often ignore corresponding action. But taking action and corresponding ac action, this is a biblical principle. Let's look at James 2, beginning in verse 14. But we're going to look at it in the Weymouth translation. James 2, beginning in verse 14, out of Weymouth. And they're going to put this up on the screen so you can see it. What good is it, my brethren, if a man professes to have faith, and yet his actions do not correspond? You see, a man can say to his wife that he loves her, but if he's not faithful to her, his actions prove that uh, what he's saying is not really the case. You know, there are men, and because of selfish reasons, they've left their wife, they've left their children, and it's always a heartbreak to learn that a father who should be a father contributes nothing. Doesn't cover clothes, doesn't cover tuition, doesn't cover groceries, contributes nothing. And it always grieves me to see guys like that show up at sporting events and act like their number one dad. It's a lie. It is a falsehood. We are known by our deeds. We are known by our action and by what we do. What good is it, my brethren, if a man professes to have faith and yet his actions do not correspond? Can such faith save him? Suppose a Christian brother or sister is poorly clad or lacks daily food, and one of you says, I wish you well, keep yourselves warm and well fed, and yet you do not give them what they need. What is the use of that? Verse 17, so also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience. The NIV says action. If it is unaccompanied by obedience or action, it has no life in it. 
so long as it stands alone. Nay, someone will say, you have faith, I have actions. Prove to me your faith apart from corresponding actions, and I will prove mine to you by my actions. That's by what we do. You believe God is one, and you are quite right. Evil spirits believe this and shudder. But idle boaster, are you willing to be taught how it is that faith, apart from obedience, is worthless? Take the case of Abraham, our forefather. Was it or was it not because of his actions that he was declared to be righteous as the result of his having offered up his son Isaac upon the altar? You notice his faith was cooperating. We could say working together with. His faith was cooperating or working together with his actions and that by his actions, his faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and his faith was placed to his credit as righteousness. And he received the name of God's friend. You see, it is because of actions. Say actions. Say, say what I do. The choices I make. The decisions I make. The things that I do. The actions that I take. On a daily. On a weekly. On a monthly basis. See, verse 24. You see that it is because of his actions that a man is pronounced righteous not simply because of faith. In the same way also was the notorious sinner Rahab declared to be righteous because of her actions when she welcomed the spies and hurriedly helped them to escape another way. For just as a human body without a spirit is lifeless, so also faith is lifeless if it is unaccompanied by, by obedience or by action. So that's why my father is always saying we have to get all the forces of our lives lined up and moving in the same direction. What we believe, what we say, what we confess, and the action that we are taking. And a lot of time believers, they get into the bad habit that they're, they're believing, they're praying, they're confessing, but they're either not taking any action or their, their action is actually contradictory to what they're believing God for. My father told the story recently that, that years ago, there was a couple that they would submit prayer requests, believing God to have a child. We're praying for a child, and years went by. Finally, they asked to meet with my mom for marital counseling, and in that meeting, it came out that the husband had had a vasectomy. Well, their actions weren't working together with what they were believing God for. <laughs> you got to get all the forces of your life lined up and moving in the same direction. You know, Fred Price would teach on faith, but he would also teach on foolishness and presumption. And when our, we're taking no action, we're operating in foolishness and presumption, or when our action is contradictory to what we're saying or praying or confessing or what we're believing God for, when our action is contradictory, we're not operating in faith, we're operating in foolishness and presumption. So we got to take action. We've got to have corresponding action to what we believe. Say, corresponding action. And we can all take greater action, amen? And as I've been saying in this series, the, the, the key is not to look at your neighbor or look at your spouse and say, these are 25 things you need to work on. No, what, what, what can Austin work on? What can you work on? What action can you take? What greater action can you take? Number four, curiosity. Curiosity. Successful people never stop learning. 
The statistics are amazing. One third of high school graduates never read another book. And now, this, this is one of the negatives of technology. Now, even in school, how much is actually being, being read? You know, Aaron sometimes will tease me that I, people don't realize how old-fashioned and traditional I am. I mean, Austin, you're one of those old-fashioned people that thinks reading a regular old-fashioned book is different than reading it on an iPad. Yes. And so all of this does not bode well for the future. And even when you read on a device, you know, I understand when you go on vacation, it's great you can take your iPad. You don't have to take a suitcase of books. I understand that. But the negative of reading on a device is, man, you get a Facebook notification, get an email notification. So even when we're reading on a device, how focused are we on what we're doing? And that's why I'd encourage you, every believer ought to have their own Bible. Praise God that we can access the Bible on our phones. But that, that's all great as long as it works, the internet works, everything is on. But every believer ought to have their Bible in a translation they can easily read and understand that is their Bible, they read, they mark up, they take notes and they highlight. There's just something about it. One third of high school graduates never read another book. 42% of all college graduates never read another book. Is it in... Is it then any coincidence that 40% of all Americans pay no federal taxes? Or that 42% of the children in our nation are born into a home without a married mother and father? So in our lives, we ought to be reading all the time. We ought to be learning all the time. We ought to be growing all the time. We ought to be seeking to add to our skill set all the time. Curiosity and learning is directly related to success and productivity. Almost all successful people, they're avid readers. And parents, this is where you can, can, can contribute to the success of your children. Incentivize them to read. You've heard Pastor talk about how when we were little, he would encourage us to read. How when we got older, we got in the high school years, he would incentivize us to read, to read books, to read great works of literature, to read books on investing and savings and success to read Proverbs every month. Not when we were little, but when we were older. It was an extra $100 to read the book of Proverbs every month. And you might say, oh, that, that, that's crazy. Well, he, he got a certain end result. And we, we don't give Sophie and Michaela $100. They're still little, but they have a chore sheet. And when they do their chores, they get $10. When they do bonus chores, there's extra money for that. And there's an extra $10 if they re they're reading Proverbs every single day. And then for every book they read that uh, I say is okay, amen, and then they read some silly little girl books. Those don't count. I'm glad they're reading, amen. But when they, they read stuff that is a little bit more challenging, and some of it's still fun. Sophie loves to read Nancy Drew. I think she's nearly on book 40 now. When they read a book that, that we say is okay, that's an extra $10 per book. And of course, when they're older, it'll be more. But we, we incentivize them to read. You know, it blesses my heart. For their birthdays, the girls wanted new Bibles. New Bibles, nicer Bibles like their dad. So we got them Bibles. But it blesses my heart to go in their room at night, and Sophie or Michaela, they'll have their Bible open. They'll be reading, they'll be reading their Bible. They'll be reading Proverbs, building the wisdom of God into their life. You read about Ben Carson. Grew up in Chicago, but he, he didn't turn out like everyone in Chicago 
because his mother incentivized him to read. Successful people, high wage earners, typically develop a love for reading in their elementary school years. Successful people are avid, avid readers. People can, who read well and read a lot can also speak well. A lot can be discerned when someone is asked to read something. How well can they read? How well can they speak? So it's important that children be incentivized to read, to read a lot, to read well. There was once a family, and it was a typical young man thing, wasn't doing as well as he could have been doing, should have been doing, and the mother was frustrated. And I said, you need to encourage him to read. Read what? Re encourage him to read something he will be interested in. And he was 10 or 11 at that point, so I, I, would enc I encouraged her to get him some Hardy Boy books, old-fashioned, like from the 50s, and give, give him something that he would want to read, would be interested in reading. Well, he began to read those books. Well, he, he got interested in reading, and he wanted to read more and more and more. Well, it was just a short period of time. He was doing better in his school, and he was doing better in every subject. This has everything to do with success. Successful people are avid readers. And since most people don't read much, readers tend to become leaders. Tell your neighbor, say, readers become leaders. Tell your other neighbor, say, readers become leaders. You know, we're reading. We're thinking. We're evaluating. We just don't turn on the Today Show or The View every morning to find out what to believe or what we're doing. Amen. To read, to think, to evaluate. John Wooden, who coached UCLA to 10 basketball championships, said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And uh, for us young people, and I, I include myself amongst the young people, we know we're in, our, we're in our 20s or 30s, we think we know it all. Well, we don't. And we should always be reading and learning and growing. We should always be adding to our skill set. And there, there's a time or place for fun reading, interesting reading. You ask Jessica, she'll tell you, well, we go on vacation. I like to read spy or espionage novels, but I don't just take that stuff with me. I take, I take books related to church growth and ministry and spiritual things to always be reading, growing, learning. Books related to success and investments. Number five, persistence. Gloria Copeland used to say that you cannot be a person of faith and be lazy. She also said, God does not bless lazy Christians. You might say, Austin, where's that from? The book of Proverbs. The Lord does not bless lazy daisies. She also loved to say, diligence brings increase. Leaders treat success like a marathon, not a sprint. Successful people don't allow themselves to get discouraged. Successful people never give up. Tell your neighbor, say, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Tell your other neighbor, say, don't give up. And it's amazing when you look at stories of people that are successful now, but they failed at some point. Or someone at some point said, you'll never be anything. You'll never be a success. The Beatles were turned down by every record company in England before their success. When Michael Jordan was a sophomore, he didn't make his school's varsity basketball team. He later said, everybody goes through disappointments. It's how you overcome those disappointments. 
I just wasn't good enough. And see, this is what our culture today doesn't want to deal with. But to change your life for the better, you got to deal with the real. What have I done wrong? Where have I missed it? What action have I not taken? What has Austin failed to do or failed to comprehend? I love that in that quote, I just wasn't good enough. In terms of the best thing that could happen to me was to get cut because it made me go back and get caught up with my skill level and my height. And so in those days, he, he said that when he would get tired working out, he would close his eyes and picture the list in the locker room without his name on it. The next year, he made varsity, and he averaged 20 points a game. He finished his high school career being named a McDonald's All-American. And you know the rest of the story. I don't watch sports much now, but when I was in junior high, high school, I, I love to watch the Chicago Bulls. I don't know who's playing in the NBA now, but I love to watch the Chicago Bulls. And you know the story. And recently I saw footage of Michael Jordan when he played college basketball. Truly amazing. Albert Einstein made an F in math. John Wooden quoted from him. He coached at UCLA for 13 years before he won a national championship. Then he won 10. Thomas Edison once said, many of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Smile at your neighbor and tell them, say, don't give up. Don't give up. Smile at your other neighbor and say, don't give up. Don't give up. So never give up. And th these are people in the world, many of whom were a success without God. So what can we do with God? What can we do with the help of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit? So never give up. If you believe in God, never give up. If you believe in who you are in Jesus Christ, never give up. Never give up on God. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on your family. Never give up on your husband or wife. Never give up on your children. Never give up on others. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The other day, I picked up Michaela from cheer practice. And I picked up, we, were, we stayed to wait for Sophie to be done with basketball practice. We're at, we're at this stage of life where we need a flow chart to know what's going on. And Jessica, we're, we're not on the same page because she, she's like my father. She wants an old-fashioned print calendar. I'm like, no, you got to load all that up on iCal so it's digital. I got on my phone. Know what's going on. And uh, we've had some miscommunications because of this. So I got here with, to pick up Michaela, had Michaela. I thought, you know, we'd be here five minutes to pick up Sophie. Well, apparently I had the wrong time. So we were, we were watching Sophie in basketball practice for half an hour. And I, I was so thrilled. I was so happy as a father. Because at the end of practice, the coach was making the players run suicides. And if you don't know what that is, old school, and they probably changed the term now. But old school, back when I played basketball in junior high or high school, I hated that. Because you start at one end of the court, you run to the, the next line, then back, the next line, then back. You do the whole court like that. And I remember some late nights, early mornings, running those laps back and forth. But it made me so happy as a father to watch Sophie, to watch those girls running those laps, amen. It is good for them. And yes, it's hard. And yes, you're tired. And yes, you don't want to do another one, but it is good for you because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So we, we keep going to work because it's the right thing to do. 
We keep walking in love, even when we don't feel like walking in love, because it's the right thing to do. And, and saving money. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's not thrilling. It's not like when you go and buy a car and you don't pay anything down and you sign your name and they let you drive off. But we are to persist in doing what is right. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if, say if, we don't give up. I remember those early mornings, late nights, one more, two more, five more. Or somebody had a bad attitude, that was bad. Because then there were like five more of those, ten more of those. You know, back in the days before we were blessed with all these wonderful, nice facilities, we'd have to go work out at other places. And I remember there was a particular gym and it had stairs that were were higher than these stairs, each one. And that coach, he would make us jump on one leg on the, the floor, then the next step, the step after that. It, it wasn't fun, but we won nearly every game that year. So you got to persist in doing what's right. you got to persist in doing what you know you need to do. Number six, thinkers. Tell your neighbor, think. think. You know, our Heavenly Father blessed us all with a brain. We ought to use it. Amen. He blessed us all with common sense. We ought to use it. And we've been all blessed with wisdom. Now, some of us have more than others, but regardless of the circumstances with which you grew up, you can get into the book of Proverbs and you can add the wisdom of God to your life. So there are no excuses. And think about, think about, think about. You know, I remember back in the day. How old are you, Austin? I remember back in the day when my mom would take me to downtown Arlington to the public library to pick out a book. And when we've moved once or twice, I found some of those books. So I hope we don't get arrested or anything. Amen. <laughs> but she, she would drive me to the, the public library to go and to pick out a book. And I, I would read the book and we'd take it back and we would go and pick out another one. We have, we have all this technology now. And a lot of the famous classics in literature and money and finance on Amazon, they're free. Or they're $2, or they're, they're $5. And literally, you don't have to drive to Barnes & Noble anymore. You literally can click, 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 and instead of Netflixing, you can download a book. And you can read a book. So we, we have no excuses. Smile at your neighbor and say, we have no excuses. And we ought to think. You know, the world is crazy. And we ought to do whatever is the opposite of the, what the world's doing. And part of this is thinking. Growing up, my father encouraged us to read Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. That was one of the books on the list that he, he gave us, Think and Grow Rich. Successful people are often called perfectionists. Successful people typically go far beyond what is considered normal by every measure. And it's the way that we were, we were raised. I love how Aaron's youngest son, Jackson Wood, he can, he can walk around and, and see something that needs to be fixed or taken care of or corrected. That tells me he had good parents, and he has good parents. Because of the way my, my father raised us, we see things. You know, the, this past week, they had someone here, and they were putting up the little signs around the building. You know, I, I walked out of my office, and, and within 10 seconds, I saw one that was not perfectly level. And I, I texted someone, now, now they got something they got to fix. It's the way we were raised. But this is part of success. This is part of doing better than the average, than the norm. Successful people are often called perfectionists. Successful people typically go far beyond what is considered normal by every measure. 
hours worked, research put in, attention to detail. And again, it's hard work that makes the difference. When I was in the master's program at TCU, we had a professor, and his IQ was just off the charts. He was a perfectionist. He, it, it was hard to do well in his class. And in the graduate classes, he was different than any other professor I ever had because he would actually take the time to check everybody's work cited. You could literally not pass a paper simply because you had problems or issues or typos in your work cited. And he, he demanded that as graduate students, that every quote, every, anything used from a secondary source, it had to be double checked in the library. That was a lot of work. But it taught me an invaluable lesson because in doing that, I discovered that scholars, people with PhDs, we would quote, they often misrepresented someone else's views. And by marching down to the library, taking the time, pulling the book, and checking it for myself, I would find out the truth was often the opposite. But see, it took a lot of hard work. But I was well prepared there and for seminary and things later. Successful people are people of quality. Successful people are people of excellence. Successful people analyze themselves, their successes and what led to their success, their failures and what led to their failures. Successful people analyze results to repeat what works and to avoid what doesn't work. Successful people put ego aside to learn from their mistakes in order to improve their chances in the future. Tell your neighbor, smile, say, learn from your mistakes. Tell your other neighbor, say, learn from your mistakes. And this is true in every area of life, in work, in marriage, in family. Number seven, focus. Tell your neighbor, smile, say, focus. focus. Tell your other neighbor, say, focus. focus. And praise God for the, all the technology, but it is one great big giant distraction. Yes. Successful people focus. They set goals. They focus on those goals, and they carry through on those goals. They take action toward their goals, from improving their personal appearance to bettering themselves on the job, to saving money. Successful people discipline themselves to focus on the task at hand. They don't allow other people or things or adverse circumstances to distract them from their goals. With regard to any goal, Henry Ford once said, a person ought to think of it by day and dream of it by night. And that's why men, that Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich is so important because part of success is your thought life and keeping your thought life focused. Number eight, innovation. Successful people constantly look for different and better ways of doing things. They're often criticized for innovating. Alexander Graham Bell offered to sell a part interest in his new invention, the telephone, to Western Union. The head of Western Union at the time turned Bell down with the comment, what would we do with an interesting toy like that? Amazing. Sam Walton used to encourage his management team to swim upstream, to go the other way, to ignore conventional wisdom. If everyone is doing it one way, there's a good chance you can find your niche by doing it in exactly the opposite direction. So, and this is part of, I believe, the blessing of God in the past year and a half. While people have been afraid, we've been living life. We've been going to church. Men and women in the church have been going to work. What a, what a novel concept. So in this culture, in this time, it is not hard to pull ahead. Amen. Be a man or a woman of excellence. Amen. Be willing to think outside the box. 
Be willing to show up at work. Be willing to do what others are unwilling to do, and you will prosper, and you will pull ahead. Number nine, effective communication. Successful people are effective communicators. And if you are in constant strife with others, your spouse, your employer, your employees, work on your communication skills. And if you, you would say, Austin, it's not me, it's everybody else is the problem. Well, <laughs> maybe it's time to have some quiet time with the Lord and realize maybe there's some things you need to change. Number 10, integrity. Successful people are people of integrity. Say, say integrity. And then this is what means, it means to do what's right no matter the situation. To do what's right no matter the situation, no matter the, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, no matter the temptation, integrity. You can get ahead for a while cheating and cheating people, but getting ahead and staying ahead and living ahead and ending ahead and finishing well, it requires integrity. Tell your neighbor, say, integrity. integrity. Tell your other neighbor, say, integrity. integrity. And it's not worth it. You know, anytime someone comes to us and they say that there's been a loss or someone has done them wrong, we always say, put it into the hands of God. Let the Lord fight your battle. Let the Lord take vengeance upon your behalf. And we always point them to the verse, let the Lord make it up to you sevenfold. That's when you're on the winning side of that. But what if you're the person who takes crooked paths? Well, then you're the one paying back sevenfold. And it's better to not live life that way. Proverbs 10 and verse 9 says, the man of integrity walks securely. That's what Lester Sumrall, great man of God, said to my father many, many years ago. My parents' living room. He said, you have to live your life in such a way that whatever is going on in your life, it could be printed on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. That's living a life of integrity. Proverbs 10, 9, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Be a man or a woman of integrity. Tell your neighbor, say, say integrity. If you do what's right, you'll pull ahead. If you take the high road, you'll pull ahead. If you're at a place where there, there's pressure to do things you know are unethical, don't, don't yield to that. Don't submit to that. Do what's right. God has better for you. That, that's part of our confession in these days. God has better for us. Anybody that's been threatened with their job, God has better. Amen. Better pay. Better benefits. Better in every way. Be a man or woman of integrity. You can take charge of your life. And you can change your life for the better by taking action today for a better tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 
561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.